thank you so much, and a big thanks to the worship team today. Would you just uh, give acknowledge their uh, ministry today, and thank you each of you for each of you for the the dedication of your hearts to minister unto the Lord in voices and instruments. Two quick things before we transition to the ki- children's classes today. One is that um, I'd like to ask you to read a section from Scripture from the Bibles that are available there in the pew. So we're reading in unison this section. It's Psalm chapter 61. It's a brief psalm. It's eight verses. And it brings into focus what we'll be looking at today from um, an episode in the life of David where both out of danger and out of his internal need, which we all experience, the external and internal forces for which we need God, and seeing how David found refuge in Almighty God. Would you read with me on page 658 of these Bibles, Psalm 61? Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I like for our boys and girls in cl- from classes to be a part of this as well, so that uh, we have this shared experience as a congregation of reading aloud the Word of the Lord. Psalm 61, beginning at verse 1. Let's let's read together to the glory of our King. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Let's pause a moment, and that word selah there is a notation that has often been understood to be either a musical notation from the ancient times, or very possibly, and I always take it this way, a reminder to pause, to to stop, to think. It's a rest, like a rest in music. But I want to repeat that fourth verse, and then we'll even read the word selah. Sometimes it's deleted, but let's read it together. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Now, once again, we're going to repeat that first line of verse 9, because we're personalizing praise. We're personalizing praise. It is in our hearts. It's in the nature of being born again, responding to the goodness of God as children of God, and in some way. Every single individual can have this ministry of praise. Let's say that first line together. So I will sing praise to your name forever. And we underscore I will. I will sing. Amen. Now, just before you're seated, I want to ask you to remain standing for Brother Joe to hand to you a mission focus I'd like to ask us to bring into our Thanksgiving prayers. And that is uh, for each person, and then we're going to take those um, as he distributes these for each person. And then we want to just take a brief moment before, as our children go to their classes, to reach around and give a greeting, a welcome one to another. So 
uh, here we come. Now, as he brings it to you, let me mention, most many people who've given to Challenge Farm in Katale, Kenya in the past know something about it. But I want to give you a newly released booklet that summarizes and visualizes so much of the of the ministry that over this last 21, 22 years, God has used so powerfully to bring a whole new way of life for many children that came off of the streets of Nairobi and other parts of that region. And the numbers are huge, I'm sure, of, of all the graduates at any given time. There's around 200 students in the program. And what we want to do in Thanksgiving first is to give thanks to God for the people who support Challenge Farm. This has been a particularly testing year in some ways, and we want to pray for their leadership. We want to pray for Sherry Thompson, who is one of the missionaries this church has consistently supported for 20 years on a monthly basis because we so believe in the ministry that God put in Sherry, Sherry's heart and her, and her husband, uh, Rick, in, in those early years when they were forming Challenge Farm before the Lord took Rick to be with him. And as you, many of you know the story, you've been here when Sherry has shared, but I want to ask you to take this booklet and, um, and use it as a prayer focus throughout this Thanksgiving season. Pray for Sherry. Pray for the staff. Pray for the leaders at Challenge Farm. Pray for the students. And maybe if it's been a while since you've done that, um, make, a, make it part of your prayer for God to bring more funding for their needs. And this, as many ministries have, uh, been through many times of testing. And then as a part of that, uh, today and tomorrow and the last Sunday of November, we welcome you to be part of an extra love offering. Just going to the offering box, any amount that you want to give, and just designate on their challenge farm. We want to bless them uh, just before December with a special love offering. So thank you, and boys and girls to explorers and pathfinders, now we're so glad. Would you greet one another? We love the buzz of fellowship. <laughs> I said we love the buzz of fellowship, don't you? We do. I love the buzz. <laughs> I love the buzz. <laughs> uh, Josiah, it's so good for you to be here. Thanks for coming. Appreciate you, bro. Amen. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. 
You may be seated. Finding refuge in God. Finding refuge in God. Now, I want to ask you to think about something that's probably easy for most everybody. When you eat spaghetti, how do you like it? Uh, maybe a little bit of Parmesan cheese. Maybe... Uh, an extra special rich sauce. Maybe you just like the pasta without the sauce. Maybe you like um, French bread, toasted, buttered. You may like a big salad with your spaghetti. However that comes, everybody's tastes are individual. And yet, sometimes the way you may vary the, the taste of your spaghetti dinner or any other type of dinner is a selection of spices. Uh, a selection of spices or a selection of, of ingredients that are just right for you. Now, God's Word gives us ingredients for a wonderful gift that we can give to God. And God describes ingredients in the Bible that are very appealing to Him. It's almost like in our lives, we have the unique privilege in praise and thanksgiving, to give back to God something that can only be given to God by an act of our will. And if God was to describe some of his favorite spices or favorite ingredients, they would have certain distinctions, just like a Parmesan cheese would have a different, a similar and yet different to another type of condiment, another kind of ingredient, the difference in how much salt or how much pepper that we might want to put on a favorite meal. And the Bible gives us distinct ingredients that are similar, and yet they have a different focus and purpose. Now, over these next two weeks, I want to talk to you about two of those ingredients, two ingredients that are very, very special to God. And those ingredients are already available to us. In fact, they're already inside of us. And in fact, no one can ever take these ingredients away from us. So it's happy news. Because as we start to look at what it means to find refuge in God, he, he gives us two very distinct ingredients. And those ingredients are praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. Now, we'll see in the life of David, and I'd like you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 29. The keynote here, as we think of David's unique experience, is a, is a keynote that holds within it a visual picture of the way David learned to praise God under pressure. And, and you'll see in 1 Samuel chapter 23, in the 14th verse first, if you'd look at that, that David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul, the current king at that time, the first king of Israel, Saul, who had a jealous 
and very eccentric rage against David, though he sometimes wanted David around him, a very fickle kind of personality. But Saul was on the hunt to try to kill his nemesis, David. And the Bible tells us that David stayed in those strongholds in the wilderness, but Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now, when David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Now, the two things that I want us to see today about this praise aspect, next week we'll look at the thanksgiving aspect, but the praise aspect is that the praises we read about, as we just did in Psalm 61, the praises that distinguish that meal of heartfelt devotion to God that David would bring to the table of the Lord, that ingredient was forged under pressure. David is distinguished by many examples in Scripture of how the most raw and difficult of emotions were hammered out in his life in places of adversity where David learned what it means to find refuge in God. And as he found that refuge in God, the very location we find here in the 29th verse, if you want to go to the end of the chapter here, is, is a good picture of, of the way that God provides for you and me through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And in that grace, God provides us a place of refuge. Now, the, the, the challenging thing in my mind as I look at this is that David's life pictures for us how he learned to praise God under pressure, and in his circumstances, both external danger and the internal needs he felt, David, David knew of the presence of Almighty God, but in David's day, he needed a, a place that he could get alone and he could discover what it meant to have that direct quality time with God. How much more should we, with the grace God has poured out through Jesus Christ, be aware of our need to have that quality alone time with God? So read the 29th verse of 1 Samuel 23, and uh, you can read it from the screen here. Let's think about what David discovered in his experience as a refugee. David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds in En Gedi. Now, we're going to look a little bit at why this particular place became so significant for David. That En Gedi is a location just on the west 
edge of the Dead Sea that even to this very day, until recent years, the last five or six years, there have been a lot of sinkholes and it's destroyed a lot of the natural beauty there that was, for many, many years, was a, a favorite vacation place for people all over, all over that part of the Middle East. But in the days of David, this, um, this place was a beautiful refuge, and still that the, the, the scenery there is magnificent. Just the closer you get to the Dead Sea now, there's not as many state parks and national parks as there used to be because of the, the ecological changes. But in those days, En Gedi was a refuge of obvious, compelling value. And it is there that David experienced what the pattern of the Psalms does to point us directly to this wonderful privilege of praising God. In Psalm 18, for example, David said the words here on the screen, you are the rock of my salvation. Would you say that with me? You are the rock of my salvation. A, a part of this pattern in Psalms is getting our own voices directly engaged in expressing who God is. So what do we have with David's, David's example at En Gedi is pictured for us in many different parts of the Psalms. And one of the most vivid aspects of it is that being under pressure, being under the, the gaze of Saul who was on the hunt for David, David's experience mingled together both internal distress and external danger in such a way that David could identify with the guy who said many years ago, I feel like Florida orange juice, I get squeezed fresh every morning. But David knew where to go for help. David knew the very promise and presence of Almighty God was like these strongholds that we'll look at briefly in En Gedi, where God himself, the rock of our salvation, his eternal unchanging character pictured by a giant rock in the wilderness, is not only the great rock, but he's also the great hiding place. And and, and what is striking about David's response to God in that way is that David knew where to find refuge for his souls, for his soul. In our challenging time now, we need to recover and rediscover that praising God is far more than simply joining in a series of songs. It is actually an invitation and an honor given by God to enable us to tap into what David knew instinctively. I need to get alone with God. And, and in getting alone with God, many of the Psalms reflect this very, this very characteristic that we're talking about, where he said, in my distress, I cried to my God for help. And what happened? He heard my voice. Now, again, it's very striking if you think of the Old Testament dimension of this over against the New Testament fulfillment that David knew God.
was listening to him. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them that model prayer of our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus used that model as a springboard to say to the disciples, so when you're in distress, seek and keep seeking and you will find. Ask and keep asking and you will find the answer. God will answer you. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. This was a fundamental part of what Jesus taught the disciples. And yet the difference is that after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this place of refuge, this capacity to talk to God has now been given to us in the very person of the Holy Spirit so that he's dwelling within us. He's dwelling in us and drawing us to the Father so that we can say like David did. And let's read this other part from Psalm 18. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. This principle of taking refuge in God actually occurs 100 times in the Bible. The word refuge. In a few places referring to the cities of refuge in Leviticus and Numbers. But most of the references have to do with either finding refuge in God or, or somebody who didn't run to God for their refuge. And now how many of you know too that it's easy as humans to go running to the wrong places as a hideout? There was a guy from Australia in... Um, the late 1930s, who was a keen student of world affairs, stayed up to, up to date on everything that was happening, read multiple newspapers. Two or three years before the breakout of World War II, this, this uh, avid student of history concluded that, that a war, a great war, a, a very, very ominous war, a cataclysmic war, was inevitable and that it would probably happen soon. So this, this man determined he'd find the safest hideout to which he could go. He studied for a long time and finally he settled on a remote and sparsely populated island in the South Pacific. And the name of that island was Guadalcanal. The hideout he chose turned out to be the center of one of human history's worst bombardments. How many people look high and low for an answer to their problem, but run to the wrong place as a hideout? This is why the Bible says that, that um, in a very personal way, each of us can embrace the fact that what you hold in your hands, even now, that God within his word has given us his revealed plan to make his presence accessible to us. And we can all say, though we may not understand what we read many times, we can all say, with me, would you say it? Every word of God is flawless. Say it again. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield 
to those who take refuge in him. What does that mean? That means that when I don't know where to turn, when my soul is under stress, when I'm up against the wall, when it looks like there's no answer to this dilemma, this conundrum I'm facing, I go back to the word of God. And I go back to the word of God as an open-hearted, hungry worshiper saying, Lord, I, I know there's so many things that I'm not going to understand. And yet the word of God comes to us with silent, imperceptible force. And it brings to our hearts a preparation for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. David put it like this in Psalm 119, verse 130. The entrance of your word brings light. It gives understanding to the simple. In the New Testament, Jesus told the disciples, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus was explaining to those disciples the very thing that David modeled he saw that the flawless word of God would lead him into the refuge of his living relationship with Almighty God. He saw what, what Ruth discovered in that beautiful story in the second chapter of the book of Ruth, where Ruth has come from the far country and she's now in a place where she needs to find sustenance for herself. And her, her mother-in-law wisely advises her to, just to go out to the edges of the fields and to begin to glean some of what the harvesters have left behind because there was an understood law and ethical principle in Israel of the leaving of the gleanings of the fields. And so Ruth found herself there uh, finding sustenance for her and her mother-in-law to try to, uh, to, try to uh, bring together the resources that she, need, she needed. And maybe she didn't think of it this way exactly, but when Boaz came along as the landowner with, a, with the power to either, either um, hurt her or to help her, the, the, the poignant story shows that Boaz saw her in the field and asked the workers, who is this, who is this lady here who is working along the edges of the field, and they told her about the story where she had come from Moab with her mother-in-law who had, who had come back after being de devastated by the loss of her husband. And, and, and he took compassion on her, and he walked over to her, and he began to commend her for her, for her desire to tap into the, to the resources that were available. He commended her for her, uh, her, just her basic initiative, and he commended her, though, in this very poignant and eloquent way. Boaz said to Ruth, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz saw, and the Holy Spirit gives us in his word, an understanding that David instinctively was aiming for when he ran to En Gedi. And that was that in the most of practical of problems in life, under enormous pressure, Almighty God is your refuge. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 2 that this factor of 
running to God as refuge, is a basic part of how worship is described and defined in one of the great prophetic passages of the coming of Messiah. Three weeks from now, when we enter into the Advent season and we begin to think in a new way of, 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 the, of, of all that is meant by God sending his own son to be born of a, of a virgin, these words of Psalm 2 remind us that the ultimate goal, even of that wondrous, unrepeatable miracle, is that God would bring worshipers to his table. Yeah, God is spreading a table upon which the ingredients of our praise and worship are distinguished as desirable to him. And so Psalm 2, a great prophetic psalm of the Messiah, concludes with these words, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Say it with me. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And as, as the scripture t shows us that this, this act of worship, this uh, pouring out of our need before God is intimately personal, we have it in the words of Psalm 91.3, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Would you give me the my? He is my refuge and my fortress. Again, my God, in him will I trust. This is what David's experience at En Gedi pictures for us in both a geographical way and in the topography of that beautiful scenic place on the edge of the Dead Sea. Now, I want you to think about something, two different aspects of this very quickly. First, if you look at the Dead Sea and you see where that um, along the, the western edge, about almost exactly midway from the north edge of the sea to the south is this, this place called En Gedi. Now we read in Samuel's, in 1 Samuel how David, David went to the wilderness area and that was a little further down to the south and then he came back up into En Gedi and he found the strongholds there and what En Gedi became for David was a place of refuge while he was on the run. And that very name, En Gedi, brings us to a, a kind of an understanding also of how, how God used this unique place in David's experience as he was shaping the life of the one who the Bible later calls the sweetest, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The New Testament in the book of Acts speaks of David as the man who was after God's own heart. And we might ask, where did this man, after God's own heart, in spite of his own, in spite of David's many failings and flaws, where did this man, described by the Holy Spirit as the man after God's own heart, where did he go? He went to En Gedi, a place that was distinguished by the, the in what appeared to be on the surface, the inaccessibility of a giant rocked face. In fact, it's described in such a way that the only way to actually access the treasures of En Gedi is by a rock 
hewn very treacherous path into the heights. And you can even see some of those craggy outcroppings there on the side of the rock face that became what they called the stronghold. David is under pressure. His life is in danger. He's being hunted down by the jealous king of Israel named Saul because Saul knows he's already been ordained and anointed by God to be his successor. And Saul, in his, in his disoriented way, his confusion about God's purpose and his own self-will has twisted the events that could have brought him a sense of dignity in his last days and turned them into a competition with David, though David never, ever raised a hand to harm Saul or hinder him in any way. And so the Bible describes in Isaiah chapter 4 that this place of En Gedi is is like the presence of God and that the presence that this place called En Gedi is also a foreshadowing of a coming day when God will provide a wonderful protective bubble for his people. It's called a canopy in Isaiah chapter 3. And so the description in Isaiah 4 fits not only what David experienced, but what you and I can experience when we use our voices to praise God even when we feel pressured, even when life looks like it's out of sync, even when things are not playing out on the canvas of our life the way we chose. In fact, I should say not even then, but especially then. We praise him because God's dynamic presence, the refuge of our souls, will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and the rain. That's what David found at the strongholds of En Gedi. And when you go back into the text now to 1 Samuel 23, I want you to think about and let's take home with us three things that David took out of that experience. And there's a parallel for all of us in the working of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives because Everything we're going to look at here in 1 Samuel 23 has a parallel and fulfilling application in the grace of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. What did we hear from the gospel? That by grace are you delivered, saved. And that grace, not of yourselves, nothing we could produce inside of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should should boast. And so here, the revealing refuge back in 1 Samuel 23, 14, we see, first of all, an empathy that occurs here, a beautiful gift of empathy. Your refuge in God will be God's place of empathetic togetherness. Now, It's impossible to put this into words in a way that does it justice. The best way to do it is to think of Jesus. Because Jesus told the disciples that his very presence among them brought the Father to them 
in an empathetic way that they could not have conceived of any other way. Didn't Jesus say, Thomas, when you've seen me in John 14, you've seen the Father. Now, Jesus clearly distinguished between the Father, but his point was, in that place, you've seen the fullness of who the Father wanted you to see. You can identify with God the Father through Jesus the Son, because the Father and the Son are in perfect harmony. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bringing to your life the reality of what was pictured in ancient times in the life of a man like David. When Jesus was giving them the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in John 20, verse 22, that he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, he speaks of the Holy Spirit speaking and communicating with empathy with our spirit to tell us that through the grace of God, you have become his children. There's an empathy there. But because of that, Jonathan's visit to David then also shows us that in the Christian life, God uses human beings to bring that empathy. Look again at that uh, 17th verse of 1 Samuel 23. He said to him, do not fear, David, for the hand of my father shall not find you. Jonathan being the biological son of King Saul, of course. So Jonathan is saying, don't be afraid of the rage of my father, because I will be with you, and I will strengthen you, and I will walk with you. And the Bible summarizes the conversation at the end of verse 18 by saying that Jonathan went to his own house, and yet he had strengthened his hand in God in verse 16. He had empathized with David in such a way that from that moment on, even though they weren't physically in the same room, there was an incredible, um, there was an incredible empathy between them that enabled David to sense the empathy of God, the care of Almighty God in his own life. And so the second thing that David experienced there was waiting on God. And, it, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing when you think about that, that what David, uh, David experienced at En Gedi was formative in the way that he's described in his care for the sheep on the hillsides. En Gedi was a place where the goats and the, and, and the livestock could climb high those, uh, those gazelles could climb high into, into those upper reaches of En Gedi. In fact, the whole rock face was over 2,000 feet high, though the location was about 630 feet below the Mediterranean sea level. And this was a place of such exquisite beauty where, where, the, where the streams, two great streams, called two wadis that would flow down into the river valley, uh, brought just an abundance of refreshing, and the water temperature itself is 80 degrees average, so that people, even into modern times, as I've said, have gone there to stay in the springs and to, to receive the comfort of, of En Gedi. And I see that in this, that David stayed there, David stayed there waiting on God, and in the time of deliverance, 
the worship that came out of David's experience of En Gedi is exactly or very parallel to what we're called to do. Because on those astounding heights where the streams of God in En Gedi refreshed David and his traveling companions, there was a vivid picture of what Jesus promised the disciples in John 7, 37, when he said, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus has given to you and me individually the full panorama of refreshing access to the very immediate presence of God through faith in Jesus so that the living water of the Holy Spirit can refresh each time you find yourself weary. You can know for sure that God's grace is poured out in the personal presence of Jesus for you, and it's, accept, it's accessible to you whether you're on the run or you're just in a place in your life where you're feeling stuck. You can have that very, that very living, dynamic reality. I just call it, to sum it up, the En Gedi experience. <laughs> the, 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 the place, the fountain of the living goats is the way they described it in ancient times. The fountain of the goats. The fountain of the goats. The place where the, the little goats, and aren't we kind of, in a way, like little goats, where we need a place to climb to get out of danger. Like it says in Habakkuk chapter 3, my, he makes my feet like hinds feet to go on the high places. The gazelles and the goats, they, they find refuge in those heights. David is saying, my soul, my soul, more needy than any animal could ever be. My soul runs to the rock that is higher than I. And I find there a stronghold where I can look out upon the dangers that are distant now and know that in the security of that great rock, in that En Gedi experience, we have the living picture of being in Christ. And that's, that's, where, that's where the En Gedi experience can help us recognize that today the one missing element on the table of worship that we might set for God, if we want God's food to be seasoned uh, as it should, we need to add into that our praises. We need to bring our praises even when we don't feel like it. The En Gedi experience that each of us carry with us is because we're inhabitants now in the great rock stronghold of Christ himself. And I think this um, concluding declaration from Isaiah 12 is a good way for redeemed believers to know that we're part of this. We can enter into that and get the experience. Would you read with me aloud from Isaiah 12 as we, as we prepare to go out into this beautiful day? Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. As we go today, think of it this way. 
crying out, lifting my voice, praising God, bringing to the table of the Lord the gift of my own praises, is flavoring the food of the meal that God says is his favorite. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask today that by your spirit we could we could all realize that finding refuge in God is not a mystery search. It is not a scavenger hunt. It is not it is not a futile endeavor. It is actually the direct invitation of Jesus Christ to come and to bring the burden of our heart, to bring the difficult moments, the questions and the perplexities as well as bringing to you, Lord God, a heart of great gratitude for the countless blessings which so often we don't stop to enumerate. But today and in this coming week, may we come heartfelt, set free, fully aware of the dynamic grace that you pour out and make accessible to us now that indeed we, we individually, and we as a congregation can find refuge in God.